All right. Hi, everybody. Jordan here with Aguilar Radio. And uh, today we have on the show uh, my good friend Mark Kelly of The Roots. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. And uh, Mark, so you know what? Let's start from the start, man. So you are born in Texas. Yeah. Um, Houston, Texas. Got a pianist father, right? And I know your yep. mom, you've, talking, uh, you've talked to me before in the past, you know, um, her love for R&B music, but your dad was a classical pianist. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. correct. Tell, right. tell us about uh, what some of that was like growing up in a, in a, in a, in a you know, semi-musical home. Musical home. Well, see, my father, I, I mean, I, I, growing up, we would always listen to him practice. Like that was, uh, he would always give piano lessons and, and uh, he would always practice like late at night in my room was right above the room where the piano was. So he had a full Steinway grand piano, full grand. And I would, we trying to go to sleep, you would hear him practice. And especially when he had recitals or things like that, he would always practice till really late. And we just remember, we had all these songs. I can't even tell you the title of some of these songs, but <laughs> there's so many classical pieces that we all had memorized because we would just listen to our father practice them all the time, you know? Yeah. Did you enjoy listening to it or was it like, oh, dad's playing again? Yeah, not, not really. I didn't have an appreciation for it when I was a kid. Like, it, you know, I didn't, I, I wasn't a classical music fan when I was a kid. I, um, I, I wasn't really that much into music at that time. Like I was more like skateboarding and, you know, I was into like, uh, like BB guns and, you know, all that, <laughs> all that typical dumb stuff, you know, when you're, when you're a kid, but, I didn't really have an appreciation for any of it. But then as I started getting into music in my later years, like that's when those things started to have an effect on me. And, and you know, the, the knowledge that I had from list, from growing up listening to those things was valuable later on in life. So at what age or what was the, what was the thing that caused the shift? And, you know, I guess, how did, uh, how did the bass guitar come into that picture? The bass guitar came into the picture because I had been trying to play guitar first and that really wasn't working out too well. And, um, but I, I kind of just, you know, I had a guitar and I, I messed around with it here and there. And then there was this one spring, there was a, I think it was like a spring break. My cousin and I used to always go to my grandparents' house. And um, they took us to my uncle's church because he was going to be playing uh, bass. And uh, I didn't know very much about the bass. And I, I, I think I even thought he was going to be playing guitar. Like I didn't even know that he was a musician. And we went to go check him out. And after he, and I saw him play with his church, and I, I thought it, I thought it was great. I thought it, I was like, man, I can't play the guitar, but maybe I can play the bass. Like it's less strings, it looks easier <laughs> to play. And um, but I didn't I, I didn't think much about it. And then my uncle asked me. He said, Hey, you still playing guitar? And uh, I felt like if I said that I wasn't, that it would I would have been letting him down or something. So I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, I'm still playing, you know. But I, but I was uh -huh. interested in the bass by watching him play. Interesting. So then, um, you know, so then that happened, and I, I like, I, I that got in my mind, and I just couldn't uh, stop thinking about playing bass. Like, I, that was like my new obsession. Interesting. From my uncle playing. So then, um, that went on for a while, and then uh, I remember a friend of mine, uh, a drummer friend, when we were kids, his band was looking for a uh, bass player, and I wanted to play bass, but I didn't own a bass and whatever. I was like, yeah, man. Uh, I'll play bass, you know, but, I didn't have, <laughs> but with no bass, no bass. And then wow. it was like around Christmas time, my parents bought me a bass and like <laughs> Christmas day that day, or maybe the next day, I don't know. I went and had my first band rehearsal. And then, wow. So, and what was your first bass? That bass, it was like a bass from Sears. It was like some Whoa. black four string bass from Sears. Oh man. And yeah. so like, what were, what, so, okay. You got your dad on the classical side, you got your mom on the R and B side, but where was Mark? Man, I was a uh, I, I was a metalhead. Yeah. <laughs> Tell I us about to, it. Man, I used to um, like the show. My my main show that I used to watch all the time was Ricky Rackman's uh, Headbangers Ball. Like that Whoa. was like that was the show that used to be on MTV like a long time ago, and it used to come on like late at night. It would come on like after all the other shows were done. This was like metalhead hour, so that was like the, oh my the gosh. shit that I would play, and that that's what I was into at that time, and. Uh, Cause I, cause really, even though I was playing bass, like I really wanted to be like a lead guitar player playing all types of distortion and gotcha. crazy, like face melting solos, but just guitar just never worked out for me. It just wasn't my thing. And then, um, but bass, when I started playing bass, it was like, I just took off like, like immediately. Like it was just like, 
you know, it was, I was meant, I felt like I was just meant to play the bass. So I got to ask, what, uh, what were your parents thinking at that time? Oh my God. What was everybody thinking at that time? I, everybody <laughs> thought I was a Martian. Like I just was not, I was like, it, I wanted to play, like, I, you know, I wanted to play guitar. I wanted to play drums. Everything was just too loud. But then I, I got a bass guitar and this amp and, uh, you know, I lived for Saturdays because that was when we would go and, and have rehearsals, you know, so. Mm. Uh, but my, you know, it, I, there was always lots of blaring metal music coming from my room as a kid, like middle school days. And it was, uh, you know, very I, could, I feel like days. I could see the metal influence, you know, anytime you solo and you start to and and like Quest and those guys start to really like, you know, kick it into high gear. Yeah. The head banging starts to come out. Like, uh, OK, yeah, man. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm still a metalhead, man. Like I, I still have that, like, you know, some of the stuff that I'm I've been working on just for my own sake, like I have a, I have a trio project that I'm currently, you know, we're writing and putting things together, but a lot of it is very like Primus influenced. Wow. And, and that's with Kirk, uh, right? No, that's a different, oh, okay. this is, this oh, is okay. a project that I've put together with two other people. And, um, and strangely, you know, before all this started happening, we had our first, uh, we, we got together and we just kind of like played a few times and put a few things together. And, uh, and and everything worked was working out great, you know. And then now we we have this whole thing which we don't have to get into, but all this social distancing and everything, so we can't have rehearsals. So we've been kind of going back and forth online, just kind of like you know playing a different th- bunch of different things and trying to put songs together so that when when this is finally over, you know, sure. we'll have a bunch of material that we can work with. But right now, it's like it's interesting creating in your own space without the influence of anybody around you, the results have been pretty interesting to say the least. <laughs> and so did you find yourself, I mean, you know, so now you've, you've grabbed the bass guitar, you're starting to, you know, um, learn it, you're starting to play, you know, you have this metal influence, you know, this, um, you know, I got to imagine, you know, I, well, I see it, you know, the same energy, you know, you still bring that out today in anything that you're playing. Um, but did that start, did your listening start to change too as you started to, you know, uh, play bass? Did you have now suddenly an ear for what your parents were listening to? Yeah. Um, once I started playing bass and I, and that became my life, like I re- I realized how much I had been listening to bass lines and hadn't really been realizing it. And when people would ask me to play songs, it was easy for me to to think back. And once I got, you know, once we found the key or whatever it was, it was easy for me to start finding those bass lines, like songs that, I, you know, maybe we didn't have a reference for me to listen to, but I could think and I could hear the bass line and I would come up with it and I would play it, you know, and it, I, yeah. I, and then it, once I started realizing that definitely all of my listening became very focused and centered around bass lines and, and, uh, and, and a lot of things. I, I've had a couple moments growing up where the three of us, I would play a song and my dad would play like, you know, it'd be like some type of jazz standard or something. Uh-huh. And my mother would sing and like the three of us would play. It would be fun. You know, I mean, we've had we haven't had very many of those moments, but we've had a few, you know, where, cool. where we've kind of, you know, we've come together musically. That's awesome. And so yeah. like, OK, so now at 13, you're, you're playing, you're, you saw your uncle play, you grab the bass, you're starting to play. Like what what was the moment where this became serious for you? This became serious. And I don't mean like necessarily work. I, 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 I like for Mark that you said, okay, I love this. This is what I want to do. Um, when I was in, I felt like that when I started playing in my first rock band, like it, it that was the first time that, and I, I guess I was around like 12, maybe then mm-hmm. 12, 13, like I think around like 12 years, I was probably like around 12. That was my first musical experience where I was creating music with other people and they're around my age and it sound at that time it sounded to me I mean I thought we were making music that sounded really good like it was just it, that was the moment that I knew that this is what I wanted to do mm-hmm. and then um but then other situations started to come from that like I was playing in rock bands but then um I was asked to play with a with a gospel choir like my sisters were singing in a choir and their uh, the director was a really good friend of my parents and just to get me involved, they were like, "Want you know?" She asked me, "Would you like to play a couple songs?" So then I went, and now I was playing at this at this church. I played like a couple songs in this uh-huh. concert, but it was like it was like a lot of rehearsal that went into this show, you know. So that this is like a regular thing I was doing, and then I was doing that, and then I was going to a, I, my my sisters were in that choir, but then uh, we we also belonged to a different church, so I was playing for that. And before I knew it, 
a lot of the places, all the places that I was going to, this started becoming the thing that I would do in all those places. So it's like now, instead of just being that little kid or being, you know, that, you know, however anybody, you know, being my sister's brother or or Mm. my dad's son or whoever, now I was being identified as this musician in all these different places that, you know, that I I was in. So that just, it just kind of naturally just became yeah, I was going to say, there's a natural progression that moves yeah. into it. And yeah. so is it safe to say that eventually once college years hit around, that's where Berkeley came into the picture? Absolutely. Um, I went to a performing arts high school in Houston. And when, um, when that college time came, I guess it was my junior year in high school, Berkeley was doing <clears throat> scholarship auditions. And for every state, they would go to, you know, uh, some major city in each state. And it, it was a thing. And they, for us, it was in Austin. So uh, I remember driving up to Austin with my parents and doing this audition. And then, um, and that was it. Like I, and I got a scholarship and then mm-hmm. I, uh, I went there for my whole uh, college years and it just kind of just progressed into a serious profession from there. Like it was, that was how I worked. I was going to ask, I mean, like how, so, you know, what's cool, I think, is that you came from, you know, this sort of pure unadulterated, just performing for the love of it, but then you go into the academia. What was it like bringing those two worlds together? Um, was that challenging? Were you like, man, I can't wait for these four years to be over? <laughs> well, I mean, my time, my the thing, going to a performing arts high school before I went to Berkeley, like we were already doing a lot of that stuff, like, you know, pretty much half of your day, basically the way the, the high school worked was that the way the kids have electives in high school, um, that's where, you know, how you have, you you, have, you do PE and you do theater mm-hmm. and you do whatever. We, our school took all of those hours that a kid would do in high school and put that into our, make that our curriculum for gotcha. music. So what one kid does over the course of one year, one regular high school education, with your elective, we pretty much have, I think, about three years of that in one year of high school. Gotcha. So, so you were already years, used to taking all these classes and that routine. Right. So like gotcha. we went, my first year at Berkeley was like kind of like a recap of high school. So I, it gave me the space to do a lot more working. And uh, uh, okay. so then and then by doing that, it was kind of a, you know, it's kind of a, 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 a tug of war between school and work because I would <laughs> I would start working and then it's, you know, you, you get called to do a good gig, either a cool gig or a gig that's paying a lot of money, uh-huh. but you have a 9 a.m. class the next day. So then, like, <laughs> you know, what, do you, what do you do? So there was there was a lot of that going on for me. And I got to imagine, right, you were probably taking anything that came your way. I had said yes to just about every gig that that I was called for. Do you feel like in a way that's that's prepared you for the kind of work that you're doing now? I guess before we go to that part of the conversation. 100%. 100%. Interesting. Um, it, Part of part of this, like all of my, I, I think about this all the time. Like you know, I, I've been in my musical experiences started with pretty much being in groups in bands, mm-hmm. and part of being there's like I feel like there's like etiquette to being in bands. You know, besides just your musicianship, there's like the, knowing how to be in a group with a lot of with other people and personalities and things like that. I feel like those are things that you just kind of learn through the process of, you know, working a lot and working with different people, you know, so. So like, what is, like, give us a quality that, that you felt you had to learn in that quality. kind of dynamic. Like, um, just like I gotta quality. imagine, did you, did you have to learn like how to humble yourself as a musician? Uh, like sometimes, yeah, absolutely. You have to learn how to humble yourself, listening to others. Uh, uh, I, I think one of the, one of the best lessons that I learned is that I would rather work with somebody who like either there's like the genius musician Uh who's a very difficult personality and the musician who is less than genius and may not even be anywhere close to genius but can do the job and is a uh, a much easier cooler person to be around i will take that person over the genius every time because the life of of your work and your your band your business it'll last much longer as opposed to destructing under like destructive personalities. All right, you heard it here, folks, on Aguilar Radio. Don't be a jerk. Be yeah. a good person. <laughs> be a good and person. And Mark Kelly will take your gig. 
<laughs> so, uh, okay, so you mentioned something that um, I think is a great segue to, to something I'm eager to talk to you about, um, which is playing in a band. And to me, the person who I know is so passionate about bands in general is our good friend, Michelle Tegocello. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and uh, so we were, you know, Mark, you and I were talking a, a bit earlier about, you know, how M Michelle is one of, well, first of all, she's come up in every episode uh, of Aguilar Radio that we've done so far. Mm -hmm. um, and everyone that has mentioned her, you know, has been impacted, of course, by her records, by her music and her career. Um, yeah. But you've been in a unique position uh, being a bass player for her for many years and, and, and just being her friend. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and she is a special person. I will never forget, you know, uh, being at your wedding. Um, and and having the amazing surprise of seeing her name tag next to my chair, yeah. uh, and my <laughs> wife looking at me like, "Who's Michelle?" And I'm like, "Don't worry about it. Just act cool. Be normal." Um, and like me, just kind of like sitting there, like, "Okay, so should I say hi?" You know. Uh, but she was such a sweetheart, and we were talking yeah. that you know she has this unique way of building bridges between people. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, even at the table at the reception, she was she was connecting all the dots for people that some of them she didn't know and some of them she did. And, and it was amazing. So yeah. I know you've had it was kind of a cool story, right? How you even got connected with Michelle and in the band. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Tell us about yeah. it. So I was uh, I had when I first moved to New York, the place to play that was even remotely close to the environment that I knew in Boston, which was Wally's Jazz Cafe. Wally's yeah. was. Um, a place called The Groove, which is in the West Village, right down the street from the Blue Note mm -hmm. in New York City. It's um, kind of a place where they would, you know, they would play a lot of R funk and R&B tunes and, you know, some soul stuff, just but kind of more my element, like what I knew of a club environment. So some people I knew, um, actually to be specific, a, a great guitar player named Adam Smirnoff, who's the guitar player for a band called Lettuce. Yeah. Uh, yeah, was, great band. was working down there and he uh he, when he knew i moved to new york and he told me he's like why don't you come by and just come and start meeting some of the musicians and he tried to figure out a way to try to you know get me playing one night so mm -hmm. i went there a few times and i ended up playing with uh this uh this guy's name is raj R uh he was a uh, raj is a, a a great performer he does all types of hip-hop and r&b tunes and even his own renditions of them and uh raj hired me to be the bass player in his band and uh, so I started playing there and then little by little, I started meeting other people and I started working there maybe a couple nights a week. And I think it was like on my open, um, there was like an open night, open mic night, Wednesday nights uh, with this woman named Mitch Matlock. And uh, I was playing and I think I was outside. At that time I was a smoker, I was smoking cigarettes and, and uh, the, the, uh, the manager of the bar was outside with me and he goes, he, he, I see him talking, he's talking to somebody. He's like, hey, you want to come in and have a drink? And it was, uh, he was like, you know, you want to come in as a great bass player playing tonight? And, you know, whatever he brought her in, it was Michelle. She Whoa. was just like walking around in the village just at random, which is something that- So this is all by chance? All by chance. She was just walking around wow. and the manager of the bar knew who she was and he mm -hmm. invited her in. So she came in and uh, she played a song or two. And then uh, we we spoke for like not very long, for like a couple seconds, and she was like, "All right, thanks for see, thanks for having me on stage, you know, whatever." Uh -huh. And she just left. Exactly a week later, I'm standing outside, same thing, smoking a cigarette. She comes running by and she goes, "Hey, listen, uh, I think I have a gig for you. I'm real cool, I'm real easy. I don't, uh, I won't ask you to do, I won't ask you to, I won't tell you what to do." Like she she pretty much what? rattled off. Like, you know, this like this is what to expect from me. And it was real simple. Really. I was like, wow. Sure. You know, wait, wait, so, so was she even looking for you? I, I don't know. I, I'm assuming that's why she came back by that. I don't know. But she was like, I have a gig. And and uh, I was like, all right. And then, um, you know, I met up with her a few times after that and learned some uh -huh. of the music. And she was like meeting with everybody individually. And it was for this gig in uh, at, at this church in Harlem. And we went there and we played. And then after we did that gig, she started calling me for, for all the shows that she would do. She'd be like, hey, you want to play this show? I have another gig. I haven't, mm -hmm. and it just kind of just happened. I just started playing these shows with her. And before yeah. I knew it, it was just like a regular thing. So, but in that moment, like when she came up to you, for, I mean, first of all, like what was going in your head? Like, were you I like, oh my gosh, Masada Gachello's asking me 
she, like she says she's easy to work with it'll be fun like yeah. i mean what was in your head man were you like trying to be able to keep it cool absolutely <laughs> i mean my michelle has always worked with phenomenal musicians you know yeah. and michelle everybody that michelle has worked with has had like this i don't know what the word is but they're they're, they're you know very mysterious but very very great musicians like not not your typical musicians that you find in sure, yeah. just anywhere usa you know i mean these are these are really great musicians and she's talking to me and i it, the first thing in my mind is like did she really hear me play does she really want me like, am i gonna be able to, to <laughs> does she know what play? she's signing up for <laughs> you know what i mean like but but yeah. you know absolutely like this is one of it's one of the best people i know in the world and i couldn't yeah. I, I honestly could not think of a better uh musician for me to pair up with like how i in bands i've been in and people i've worked with like there's a she and I tend to have this very um, telepathic yeah. uh, communication type of yeah. thing. It's like, she's like, I feel like she's a, a sibling of mine. You know, like we're siblings just from from different parents. And she's also has, has such a deep, truly like a deep, not like vocabulary of music in general. I remember at the wedding, like, you know, Quest was spinning some deep tracks. Yeah. And it was really cool to see her react instantly be like oh you hear that that you hear what let's go man that's beautiful yeah and it was like wow like you're this walking encyclopedia yeah of sound oh, man man she's one of the most interesting people that that you'll ever experience like it, it's it's mm -hmm. a to me it's a blessing to know her and to be a friend to be able to be in any type of environment to experience those things like when you discuss music yeah. or her observation of things or like she's very intelligent and very intuitive and to to experience that is yeah i mean it's it's incredible like you know she yeah. um like i i all the time like i'm i'm looking up you know as i'm trying to create music i'm always looking up you know weird genres and trying to find stuff and i do all this like digging and finding all these different bands and i'll write it like hey have you ever heard of this and not only does she know who it is like she knows all their songs she knows yeah. the history of them and you know, yeah, I like the bass player, but I liked him better when he was in this other band when they played. And you know, she knows all these like different mm -hmm. avenues of things. Like it's it's incredible. But she so, is truly a walking encyclopedia. So what was that like? I mean, in those early you know days of working with her, I guess steady. You know, how how was your bass playing and how was your musicianship getting impacted? Because I mean, it is an interesting position to gig for someone who, um, or to play bass behind someone who already is known as an amazing bass player. Yeah. Who I would, you know, God, if she said that to me, I'd be like, I don't want to play bass, you play bass. Um, <laughs> but, you know, instead she, you know, she is a person I feel that has that, first of all, the humility to mm. give that up to someone else and to Absolutely. let someone else be a part. But I mean, what was some of the early things that you, you felt like, oh, I'm, I'm already growing right now in this area? The level of listening that I had to do when I, I, I learned a lot about like everything before I was in her band, in my mind, music was not good unless it was complicated and full of different parts and, you know, fast and, and, you know, just like really complex things. Like in, in my mind, good mm -hmm. music had to have those types of things. Interesting. And, and when I started playing with her, I learned how to get out of that. And like, I would listen to her songs and stuff that she would create. And I'd be like, man, this stuff is incredible. I would love her, especially her demos, the, the things that she would create all on her own, which were mm. just examples that would go to the band, how she would make all these parts fit well together. And they weren't crazy complicated parts. They all just felt good. You know what I mean? They all had a really good feeling. And, mm. and it was like, everything just all worked well together, creating this one picture that worked really well. So and how did your bass playing change in that? Because I my, feel like feeling is a is an important. That's like the first word that comes to mind. Anything with Michelle's name on it, it feels good. But what did I mean? Were you even thinking about that? Did feel good? Like what was feel good in your head? <laughs> feel good. So my thing was that whenever I would play, like I had one idea of of what feel good bass playing was, which was just if it was just laid back behind the beat, and I wasn't necessarily paying attention to how or Sometimes like I, I just, that, that was just the only thing that I would do. But then when I played with her, it was like, you had to, it's like, listen to how somebody else is playing. Like something that you would think is very, an, a very elementary concept in music, but sometimes it's difficult to 
understand something unless you are in that particular position of having mm. to execute that task. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, okay. And for me, I would be in, I would play and, you know, I, I watched her band change with a lot of different musicians. And sometimes I would play and there, there are some people I would try to play my way and it wouldn't feel good. But then if I stopped and listened to all the different parts and then tried to figure out where I could fit within those parts, which may not be a way that I was used to playing bass or even like the type of groove that I would set up. But now instead of just playing the way that I would do something and now listening to them and finding a place to fit in, you know, playing, even playing something ahead of the beat or playing, you know, one particular part laid back and the rest of it on of top of the beat. You know what I'm saying? Like finding those different things. I feel like those types of nuances would start kicking in with her music. Like a lot of the things that she would write were not, um, that she, she doesn't write typical music. You know what sure. I mean? Like, so, but was she helping you navigate through those moments or was she kind of, I, I mean, how was she coaching through those? She would stop. She, she stopped really. Oh, we, I mean, if we're rehearsing, sure. Like let's play it. Let's play it over and over again until we mm -hmm. can find that, that, place like we're not just going to play something to play it like everything should have a purpose you know what i mean yeah and uh plenty of times you know we'd have new and she would write it and i would hear it and i would think that i'm playing it the way that i was hearing it but then she would be like no it's not that and then we'd try to figure it out and she'd be like well think about this or think about this phrase when you say these words mm -hmm. the way that the rhythm of how you're articulating them try that when you're playing like she would have all these different examples and if it if it wasn't right like it, it would have first and foremost for her it would have to feel right because it's her music you know what sure. i mean so yeah what what she's envisioning may not be how i'm hearing it and that's that's yeah. another part of it like what you what you're hearing mm -hmm. that you may not be interpreting what you're hearing correctly even though you think what you're playing is what you're hearing it might not be that you know and what I mean? what do you think in your opinion because you this is something that's been brought up in some other conversations i've had what in your opinion does it take to to have that moment to have that person say hold on how you're listening to it is very different what does it take for that i mean i don't know i i, I think it's 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 up to i mean whoever's music it is whoever's vision it is like if mm -hmm. if uh you know if if michelle has a specific thing that she's playing or that she's recorded and the idea is for it to feel a certain way and I'm not conveying yeah. that or she's not feeling that, it's really, you know, it's up to her to say, you know, hey, listen, I don't, this isn't exactly how I'm envisioning this. And that's, I think that's where musician choice and things like that also come in because if you're trying to explain something to somebody and they don't quite understand or they have a, lim they have a limited uh, uh, palette for a feeling sure. or a limited way of understanding things or just an inability to to let your words impact them and for them to actually listen to what you're saying and try to accomplish what it is that you're asking for yeah. then i think that's also an issue and, I, and I, that's what i that's what it is maybe that's what a lot of her musicians are are people who have that ability yeah. to uh to to feel and to understand what it is that she's asking and to find that. You know but I also I'm, get the impression, right, that she's the kind of person that gives, that makes a lot of grace for that moment, for that kind of growth to happen, right? Because she could very well say, you know what, Mark, you're not playing it right. Give me the bass. Let me show you how it's done. Do oh, that. absolutely. Oh, I mean, and she's, she has done that too. So I've, she has done that sometimes, but I mean, yes, she does also, there's, there's a very delicate balance between, you know, I'm going to show you what I want you to do versus what, let me see what you're going to do. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, there's, mm -hmm. there's also that, like on her first, on the record that that she was doing, uh, The World Has Made Me the Man of My Dreams was mm -hmm. the record that she was doing when I started playing in her band. And there's a song on that album called, it's the only song I played on, it's called Relief, A Stripper's Classic. And I remember being in the studio and she's playing it and like, there was a, a Robert Glasper's playing piano, there's like a piano part that he did, but it's kind of she. It's it's like out of sync from the from the drums. Gotcha. But the whole thing was that the bass was like when I was listening to it, she didn't really give me a direction. She just wanted me to play, and and the piano was out of sync with everything. But somehow I heard something, and the bass just kind of glued it all together. Wow! And then uh, and and she left it like that. And she completely trusted you to do that. Yep. And she left wow. it the way it was. Now, whether or not that was what she was thinking 
or whatever. Uh-huh. I don't I, I don't know. I don't know what she was thinking, but she was just kind of like, here, have, do something. So, so that like, was it. How, how does, I mean, so what does that mean for you now as a musician? I mean, you're going through a school where you're playing bass behind a bass player who everyone knows as an amazing musician and bassist. And and you're given all this freedom uh, to listen and explore. Like, how does that now translate into the rest of your career? Do you feel like you walk into the room differently because of that? Like, I feel like uh, there's so much more, you're, you're so much more community driven as a musician. Yeah. It's not about you in the room. No, it, it's never, to me, it's never been about me in the room. Um, I don't, when I would, every room is a, is a different room. And we always, I. I always have these conversations, I used to always have these conversations with Michelle just about the room. And uh, I would tell her, you know, listen, it's not about, to me, like, I, a lot of things I say to her, like I, I always share th- things with her that my father always says to me. My father, I think, is, is a very smart man and always has very simple ways of making very big statements. And uh, I said to her, I, you know, we were, we were talking about these venues and like, you know, I don't like this place because of whatever. And I was like, you know what? It's not about the venue or the walls that we're playing in. It's about the people who choose to come and see you, you know, mm. in those walls. And that's how I feel about any, that's how I've, even to this day, like any room I walk into, I don't know who's there or what it is. And it ain't about me. And if I come to have a musical experience, I come to have an experience, not to have a, uh, a, 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 a talent show. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or to, 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 to to show off who I know or who I've played with or who I'm, who who I've been around or who's even with me at that moment like I show up somewhere if if I'm there it's because I want to have an experience yeah. yeah and how do you like I mean I, I gotta imagine that you've played for some dry rooms and you've played for some jumping rooms absolutely and how do you how did you how do you approach you know the dry room um I don't focus on the room interesting <laughs> on the for I I mean they. The thing is, like, they the people in the room came to see something, and I'm not there to see them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm there to have a situation here on mm-hmm. with whoever I'm playing with. And I mean, I've had the like the, the I've had situations where I've been called to do a gig because the bass player couldn't show up, and it was a last minute thing, and I have no idea what we're gonna play. And it's great when everybody just kind of throws all the music out the window and I'm like, all right, let's just play. And sometimes those situations have gone great. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those situations have been horrible, you know, Mm -hmm. but, but uh, I, for me, it's just, you know, it, it all just, I just start with me and the drummer or me and whoever is playing, uh, focusing on one thing and then hoping that, by one little focus, eventually that just develops into a really nice picture. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. No, I, well said, man. Definitely. Uh, you take after your father. <laughs> <laughs> so how, uh, so, so now you, you've gone through that season with Michelle and, and, um, and, and the, the, the roots. Well, uh, again, I feel like same thing with Michelle, kind of a surprise thing. Absolutely. Uh, another one out of left field, but tell us a little bit. We were talking about this earlier, you know, what, um, your life started to change, meaning music oh, yeah. started to become way more of a, a, a serious thing. But also, I think if I read correctly, your mom, right, always wanted to see you doing something steady. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Awesome about that. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I always did gigs. Like, I always did, like, you know, little club gigs here and there. Or I, I always got, I, I felt like I was that bass player that never, that everybody knew and if somebody couldn't make the gig, I would get the call for the gig that, that th- this bass player couldn't make. Like I would do spot <laughs> Mariah Carey or Most Deaf or, uh, you know, wedding bands or anything. Like I, my phone would just ring and if somebody called me, I'd go and play. And that had seasons and that would work and yeah. it would be cool. But I never had like a regular job, like a regular gig. Uh-huh. And, uh, but you did know, you want something regular? Not at first, but when I started having, like, when I had my, when I started, when I had my son and mm-hmm. when, uh, you know, I was getting a little bit older and I felt like, you know, I need something a little bit better so that I can, you know, financially just take care of myself. Like, you know, when I was a kid, when it's just me living in an apartment by myself, yeah. you know, it's, it's fine, you know, but, you know, kids coming into the world and things like that, like, I needed something a little more steady. I was mm-hmm. getting older and I just kind of felt like, you know, I, 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 
I've been in this game for so many years. Like I need to start yeah. having something to show for it. You know, gotcha. Like I, gotcha. You know, I mean, I, I didn't have any records out. I didn't do anything. I was just pretty much just like, and I was fine with that. You know, just pretty much just always just playing bass whenever anybody called me to do it. You know. So you liked playing in different band scenarios. You, you yeah. Have, did you ever have any desire to write your own stuff or? Not at that point. Like I, I had been like I been like making like hip hop beats or at least attempting to and you know whatever anything that was moving me musically i'd be like oh, i want to write something like that and then i'd go and try to make something mimicking whatever song that you know yeah. that that moved me at that time but i wasn't i wasn't freely like putting myself in a place of creation for myself or having any type of musical identity outside of just playing bass for like you know hip hop and funk and R&B stuff, you know? Yeah, uh, tell us that story. I know, so uh, w- without saying all of it, I guess you you were at kind of a crossroads in your life right around the time where you got the call, right? Yeah, I um, The thing was, my, my son, Daniel, who's nine now, he was about to be born. And, uh, and uh, I, I needed to figure out what I was gonna do to take care of my kid, you know, and, and take care of this whole situation and I had um at that time I, w- I just kind of adopted the same mentality I had a long time before which was I'm going to start saying yes to every gig that I get called for I'm I'm doing everything that I possibly can and people started calling me and I would I would get all their songs like I was I was hyper prepared like yeah. in a way that I just never would like I was just that dude that would show up sometimes if I knew it I knew it if I didn't then we're just going to funk our way through it until we figure it <laughs> out play the know? route like that's just not, I, I didn't do that anymore. I started like getting people set lists and yeah. actually practicing these songs and spending hours like learning people's stuff. And then going like, I, I remember I got called to do a gig with, um, oh man, what was this guy's name? This guy was incredible, he's a rapper. Um, Aquaba was what he said, um, the ambassador. I, I don't remember his name, but uh, he, uh, I got called to do this show because their bass player couldn't make it. It was a whole set, like 14 songs, transitions, all this stuff. And I got called like maybe two days before I needed to do this gig. And uh, I stayed up. I memorized this entire set, went and played this show. And I felt like, all right, like they wanted me to come back and play some more. And I was starting to get to a good place. And then um, like, but I still wasn't making enough money and I, it wasn't going, it, it wasn't happening fast enough. And I was like trying to research getting a Broadway gig and that was leading to nowhere. And so uh, I got this one gig playing at the Village Underground like once a month with like, it was like my only regular gig and gotcha. then I had a bunch of spot stuff, but it was like, I was trying to build up my regular gig stuff. And then I started playing at Cafe Wa and uh, I got into those things and like those things just weren't for me, you know, like even though yeah. I was making like some regular kind of all right cash, like mm-hmm. it just wasn't for me. And then uh, I, uh, I decided that maybe I should move to Austin. Gotcha. So uh, packed even- up. Before you got to Austin, though, like, did you feel like, like, uh, for the creative side of you? Yeah. Were you getting, were you wanting, were, let's like put the money aside for a second. Yeah. Was there also a uh, consistency, creatively speaking, that you were looking for? I mean, you're kind of doing everything, but did you find yourself wanting, like, I want to sit somewhere for a little bit and kind of like go there? Like, I did. I, I think that, you know, I've, my creative side was always getting, it's fixed by making beats and like I, I would um <clears throat> certain musicians I would work with would uh would always inspire me with things like that like uh like D'Antoni who was the drummer in Michelle's mm-hmm. band at my time yeah. D'Antoni even to this day makes some incredible music that is very thought-provoking and is, isn't isn't again isn't typical music because he's not your typical musician yeah but I would hear the music that he would make and you know being in Michelle's band that that would inspire me so then like he would do a lot of remixes at that time so that then all of a sudden I I wanted to start doing those things and I felt like as long as like I, as long as I was creating something on some level that fix was being done but nothing I was never it, like bass strangely enough was never like the thing that I was like writing for like I would never sit down and and want to write bass lines like I know bass players who would sit down and actually construct really good bass lines. That's just all they think about because their bass lines are where their money is. Yeah. I would never, <coughs> excuse me, I would never sit down and say, you know what, I'm going to write three or four bass grooves today. Like I would just never do that. Bass grooves were just something that I would improvise, you know, and yeah. I, yeah, I just yeah. never did that. Like writing for me was like chopping up some drums and then 
putting, you know, samples and sounds and chords and this and that, trying to make like an entire picture. Yeah. And, um, you know, years of doing that has led me to this type of freedom that I feel that I have with it now, where it's not so much about, mm -hmm. you know, a, a hip hop beat or anything. It's about, you know, to me, making something sonically that's interesting, new and, you know. Yeah. But please, doing that on a consistent please. level with someone was definitely a desire. Absolutely. Gotcha. And so you get to Austin. What happens? I, I love this uh, part. <laughs> so I get to Austin and before that, I guess like the month before, I uh, I got called to play in the B band for the Roots at their, I think it was their 4th of July celebration. At that time, the Roots used to do this 4th of July show in Philly. Yeah. And uh, I got called, it was that year, it was like Michael McDonald was playing, Earth, Wind and Fire was playing, Sarah Bareilles was playing. Can't remember who else, but I played for Sarah Bareilles and Michael McDonald. Okay. And I, I did the rehearsals, I played and I was like, okay, you know, and then I got called and at the time, uh, Rich Nichols, the Roots manager, uh, rest in peace, uh, called me and asked me if I would play on uh, the Betty Wright album at the Roots. Oh, were. okay. And um, I said, I, I played a couple songs. And then I also, after I did that, or no, before I did that, Questlove was curating a show where Christian McBride was going to be playing bass. But Christian was on the road. So they needed okay. a bass player to do the rehearsals. So oh. I got called to just sit in and do the rehearsals, which is better than any five minute audition you can ever have because I'm playing for the, for like two days in a row, like eight yeah. hour long rehearsals, you know, which they recorded and was going everywhere. So then after the manager heard that, I then got asked to start participating in other roots things like playing the gotcha. Betty album gotcha. and playing in the B band. And then, um, so well, it's like I was the, in Austin. the gigging, the gigging Mark Kelly was still <laughs> doing yeah. that, but now in like another circle. Yeah, like it was just, you know, it just kind of led to that. Yeah. And then um, I think that's just a product of saying yes to every gig that you can do because you can, you know, more people are hearing you and yeah. you're you're working with more people. But I'm, I was in all I was going on my way to Austin in, in the car with my parents. And um I remember my parents were excited that I had played with the roots. And they, you know, my dad was like, you know, you need to find a way to you know, keep working with them because they're you know, something really good for you. And, you know, I, and I was like, so they I agree. Parents. <laughs> you know, I, I agreed. Absolutely good. Son, then, do they um, have a, is there an application somewhere you can apply? You should uh, get a job like, application. Man, I'm like, I'm, I'm, we're on our way down to Austin and the gig, the once a, the once a month gig I had at Cafe Wa, they fired me from it. And while, while I'm on my way, well, not typically fired, I say fired. Okay. But they uh there was another bass player that was gonna start working there. Okay. And suppose the message that was given to me was, hey, well he uh because he's signing up for the other nights, he wants this night too. So we kind of <laughs> felt like we just give him the night. Okay. But I mean, in all fairness, I did I never gave that gig like <laughs> forward. Like they these guys had like gotcha. They, it was like an R and B band, they had all these like crazy Jamie Abersall bebop lines like that would be <laughs> in the middle of like a Shaka Khan tune. And oh it was like all crazy. Like I just okay. not that dude, but good. they, um, so anyway, I got fired from that gig and I was just like, you know what? It doesn't matter because I'm planning on moving to Austin anyway. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, we finally get to the hotel that night. And I think like maybe like not even like 10, 15 minutes after checking in uh, to the hotel, I get this text message asking me, uh, would I be interested in joining the Roots? So you got fired and hired on in the same, same day. day. That's so crazy. And uh, I, I was just like, uh, yeah, absolutely. And then it, the message was like, all right, well, we'll stand by. I'm going to deliver that message and somebody will get back to you. <laughs> but then, what the fuck, you know, what's going on? So I, I, my parents are staying in the room next to me. I knock on the door. And I tell my parents, I was like, they, somebody just called me and asked me, text me, asked me if I wanted to join the Roots. And, and I told him, yeah, my dad was like, all right, well, then we're not going to look at houses or apartments because oh, wow. he's like, I've been, because I think this is your next thing. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. this is your next calling. So he's like, we're not going to do that. He goes, tomorrow we're just going to have breakfast and we're going to go back home and we're going to wow. wait and find out what happens. So we did that. And the next day I didn't get a phone call. And then, um, Maybe like a couple of days later, yeah, I get a phone call asking me uh, if I was interested and if I would be interested in joining the band. 
Wow. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, you know, like, this is this is like this is exactly the hunt that I had been on for like three months or so, like looking for a regular job yeah, to make yeah. things better. And I was actively pursuing that. And then all of a sudden, like a gig that I could never, you know, even think would yeah. come, you know, knocking on the door. That's what happened. And then uh, the following week I was at NBC and I've been there ever since. Wow. And, and, and then on top of that, you know, throwing arguably one of the most creative bands, period. Absolutely. Just in general. So Absolutely. I feel I feel like, you know, and knowing you too, you know, personally, it's just the, the Roots is such a great fit for who you are because the it's almost like the, the gigging life that you had where you, you had so much creative diversity now still like doesn't go away. It just happens all in the same house. Right. You right. know, which Absolutely. is really, really unique. Well, that's what I meant, like, you know, by being in bands and all the travels that I've been in and, you know, even going to Berkeley and going to my high school and <clears throat> doing all the things I've done. I feel like all of those things combined are exactly what I'm doing right now in this band, like all the traveling, like yeah. when I was talking about, you know, being knowing how to be in a band with people like, well, I'm in a band with a lot of people and we're in we're around each other just before this happened, just about every day. Like there would yeah. be like even even the off day, which would be Sunday, is usually a travel day. But I'm still seeing them on Sunday, and then mm -hmm. we're right back at work on Monday. So it's pretty much, you know, we're always around each other, and we have sometimes you know, uh, very intense rehearsals for things for like jobs that need to be done, in, you know, like a big job that needs to be done in, with a limited amount of time to prepare for it, you know. Yeah. And, and and there's and a case right in working with that band that is just oh yeah no joke yeah like it's you know we've. I've, I've, we've, I've, we've done the unthinkable. We've done a lot <laughs> of shows. Like I've literally gone to Italy on a weekend just to play a 90 minute set and then turn right back around, come back, do the show, do rehearsals, wow. uh, played overseas and came back to go straight to a D'Angelo rehearsal to play with him at a festival. You know, like not wow. even like this is, this band is kind of a nonstop situation. And I feel like, you know, you kind of have to be built, you know, mentally to be able to succeed in that type of environment you know sure but i also feel like like what you've been doing to sort of prepare you for it absolutely it's not not even saying no to anything yeah like absolutely. i mean that's that's gotta what, what do you say to young bassists who are you know who are trying to find what they want do you would you say to like a young guy yo like just do what you can. Just play that, with people. That's the number one advice that I give. I say never. The one thing I saw a lot coming up was that a lot of good musicians uh, were too uh, were were too conceited. They would turn their nose up mm. at other gigs that they thought were beneath them. Yeah. And uh, I felt like you know, I, I I I feel like when we're kids and we're we're younger and we're coming up, it's not. I mean, for some people, it is about the money. And for some people, you know, they, they have the, they have, if they have the choice of, well, you know, one person's calling me to pay me 500 and somebody else is calling me to pay me a buck 50. Well, I need to make 500. So I'm going to do that, even though that may be the less musically desirable gig, you know, gotcha. but, you know, for some people, everybody's situation is different, but for some people to say, you know, nah, I'm not doing that gig. They said it only, he said he can only pay me 50 bucks. Like I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. I would always take those gigs anyway, you know, because yeah. I had, one, I wanted to make the money. And two, I just felt like, you know, I'm getting called to do a gig. I want to do it. So I would accept that. So I feel like it's important, you know, for not from reasons past economically, like it's just good to get your name out there. It's good to have the experience of playing in different environments with different people. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like there's a big difference from playing, you know, a wedding versus playing, you know, a club gig sure. or, you know, playing at, you know, somewhere like New Blue where you're, you know, where you can play more experimental music versus, you know, playing in the recording studio. Yeah, like these are yeah. all places that you're going to play, but that have very different ways of being in those places. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you don't know, you don't get to know those things. If somebody says they want you to record their record in the studio, but they can only pay you, you know, $200 and you say no, because you, it, you feel like it's not worth your time. Well, the thing is you kind of played yourself because if you've never done a studio session, now you don't know how it's, you missed out on learning how a studio session goes yeah, and getting great, paid to do so. Great, you know point. What I mean? great point. So I, I feel like there's a lot of that. I mean, I, I know a buddy of mine, if he ever hears this, he'll be mad, but he's a, <laughs> he's a, a great drummer. Yeah. And 
got asked to do a showcase when I when I lived in Boston. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah. And at the very last minute, he called up this great drummer. Uh, you know, we were all kids. And then this drummer, mm-hmm. his name is Keith Harris, called wow. up Keith and was like, hey, Keith, I got this gig for you, man. It's a showcase. I, I, I you know, whatever. Can you do the gig for me? And Keith is like, sure. Keith, you know, got his drums, learned the music, went and did the gig. That band ended up being the Black Eyed Peas. Jeez. <laughs> you wow. know what I mean? And like, and that... That showcase. I am so sorry. This was announced on Aguilar Radio. <laughs> that was that was uh, like you heard you know, it here. <laughs> a great, you know. And I mean, and I mean, and maybe just, you know, that, this is how these things work. Like everything yeah. with everybody. I mean, maybe even if he had stayed with that, that still wouldn't have been his gig. I mean, he has, you know, this drummer has his own situation. He's a brilliant yeah. musician, makes mm-hmm. great music, and has his own band that's that's very successful and is doing well. Yeah, so it's yeah, not yeah, like yeah. he's like rotting away in an apartment and missed sure. his opportunity, but. Yeah. Point is, you know, yeah. It, somebody, yes. calls you, <laughs> somebody calls you to do a country and western gig, even though you don't, you've never done it. Why not? Go do it. Go, Go do it. What it is, you know, you have bragging rights over a lot of people. <laughs> you know. So how did you? Uh, let's talk about. Uh, let's go. Let's shift to um, the playing a little bit. You know, how do you find, especially in a band like the Roots, which you know has such a great lineage of bassists. You know, I mean, Hub is, you know, one of my favorites. I mean, that yeah. guy just had such an incredible, such a heavy sound. Yeah, on that jazz bass, even upright too. But um, you know, how did you end up finding? How how did you find your identity? You know, now coming into that band. Um, I you know I feel like I already had musically. I felt like bass as far as bass goes. I felt like I already had my identity. I, I remember that. I feel like you know I had done a bunch of Prince shows with Michelle, and the and, and Quest came to that show. And I remember every time I think, I remember we redid so many songs. I played upright on a couple songs and like everything was just so bass driven and he was there. It was a really good night. And I remember that uh, he showed up and I feel like that stuck in his mind gotcha. um, about me. But and, and one of one of all of our heroes in music is the late uh, Jay Dilla. Yeah. And a lot of Dilla's stuff was very... Um, you know, feeling like bass laid back against the drums and a real wonky feel. And that is something that that has always intrigued me. And that's how I, you know, that's always kind of been my approach to playing bass is to kind of look for that wonky kind of feel, which does not work under all circumstances. But No, but I feel like with Quest, it's perfect because he's absolutely. such a, God, he's a professor on, yeah. on, on, on all things rhythm yeah. and hip hop, you know, so. Well, that, I mean, I, you know, it's like I, I had to, that was a question that I had in my mind when I joined the band, which was, you know, well, do I play like, you know, am I, am I, am I to play like the bass player who was here before me or the other bass players? And it's like, no, I, you know, I came, I was asked to be here because somebody liked something I was doing. So yeah, I need to yeah. just stay doing that. And luckily the first day there, um, we do these things called sandwiches. They're commercial bumpers, like the music uh-huh. we play going out of a segment or coming back in. And those, we come up with those on our own. Like, like Quest will play a drum groove and he may give a direction. He may say something kind of like, or maybe he'll just say, play what you feel, play what you hear. And everybody starts coming up with something and then everybody slowly finds their place. And then when he feels something's there, he does a, a, a count off three, four, and then everybody starts playing what they're doing. Wow. And that was my first day there where there was like kind of like this phase of that day where it was like for at least like a half hour, I was just improvising bass lines with a bunch of grooves, like we were just playing, coming up with stuff. And that was like the, for me, was the real first introduction for me, from me to them and them to yeah. me. And, you know, and that was like a meeting of the minds, like the first day that I was there. And that, and happening on, on a TV studio, which, yeah, you know, and I guess let's chat, you know, for those that don't know, like, I mean, we, we watch you guys all the time. I mean, I've, you know, been able to go to the show um, and it's really fun to watch you guys, especially during the, the cutaways. Yeah. Um, Cause you guys look like kids just having a ball Yeah, and like throwing cues and, and, and it's yeah. really fun to hear you. Um, yeah. I remember the, 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 this taping with, uh, with Victor Wooten. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I, just a quick story, but I remember, you know, who was it? I forgot who called, I think it was Quest and they called you to solo for a little bit. And your face was like, nope, like, come on, not man. doing that. Like, <laughs> and Victor was even wanting like, come on, play. And you were like, nope. No, nope. come on, nope. man. Like, <laughs> why am I gonna, man, that, that, there's, those, those, I've had two of those horrifying moments in my life <laughs> where I'm like playing 
on the same stage with a phenomenal bass player. Uh, and I'm being, it was like, like there's the other one, Christian McBride. Oh man, I, man, I was playing an upright, like I was playing in this, uh, this on upright, on upright. Oh That's my what goodness. I'm saying. Like, I was playing like <laughs> with, uh, I used to play with this big band in Boston called uh, Kendrick Oliver and the New Life Jazz Orchestra. Kendrick is also from Houston and went to the same high school I went to, but years before I went there. Okay. And uh, he has a really great big band. I, I, which I believe they're still active today. Uh -huh. Um, and we used to have these series at Scholars Jazz Club where we would have like a featured guest. And, like Roy Hargrove was the featured guest one wow. time and Nicholas Payton another time. This time it was Christian McBride. And they wanted me to do a, uh, to trade fours. Do a fake, <laughs> like to trade with Christian. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, you know, but I did oh my it. Goodness. And, uh, and Christian was, you know, Christian was very nice, man. Like he, like, so let me play. He played like it was really cool. Yeah. But then, after we finished playing, like I felt like you know accomplished. Like hey, you know, I hung in there, hung <laughs> I in there for Christian. Christian. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I, I played. I played. You know, I, he didn't kill me. You know what I mean? Like I felt like I felt kind of like good. <laughs> and then the next song immediately after was some up tempo oh, song no. where he opened with a bass solo. Oh jeez. <laughs> And he murdered it. Like he played, it was like it was like I mean, like the fastest shit I've ever heard on an upright. <laughs> he played it, and it was like a saxophone player on upright. Like he just oh played all this crazy shit, and then like the big band played. It was just like man, it was. It He's was one incredible. of those guys too that has such a command of the, the 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 upright from a physical standpoint. Yeah, that blows my him. The only to me at least the the, the other guy I think about that is uh, is James Genus. Yeah. First of all, because he's huge. Yeah. And his hands are massive. But and yeah. like he's the only guy that I feel like when he plays upright, looks like a toy. Yeah. Like Stanley Clark. <laughs> they just play. It can up and down like nothing. Yeah, man. Like it's nothing. Like that's nothing. how that's how he played. And it was you know it was it, unbelievable. It was These tall guys. Yeah, man. You and I were like the same height. So yeah, you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> what is this? You know. Is this? But, so you for know, like for those that are not you know that are not familiar, t tell us what like a typical you know a taping day is like. I mean, I know it's crazy, but from what we see on television, which sounds so polished and together, right? That's, it's really quick how that's all coming together, no? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, we, you know, we, we typically, we, um, we come up with, uh, you know, we have a list of things that we have to do for the week. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's, uh, you know, we have to do our walkovers, which are our walk-ons rather. Uh, mm -hmm. Walk-on is like the music that we play for the, for each guest when they come on. And we have to, um, find songs that are relevant or, you know, that are funny about that person or, you know, that are, you know, something in, that's relative to what they're on the show for, what they're promoting. So wow. usually Quest comes up with those things. Okay. Um, and sometimes, you know, we come up with them. It's just, it, sometimes it's a group effort. Sometimes Quest just comes up with them on his own. But um, we play, we try to play, we record all of those for the week so that we have those so that when, when we have our set list, we know we've gone through it and we have all those tunes. Um, and so that's what we're hearing during the commercial or leading on to it. But you guys right. are also doing that live. Right. We do that okay. live. We, we, we play that stuff live and we play all the, we also um, write music for the commercial bumpers, which we play. Like we have a set list that yeah. we're hearing in our ears during the show. So then, you know, before the guest comes on, they'll play, Quest will play the uh, their walk on. So then we're hearing it or before the commercial bumper, he's playing the commercial bumper we're about to play. So everybody's queued up and ready to go. Gotcha. When, the, when Jimmy, you know, we'll be right back. Yeah. We go into the song. Cool. We play the commercial, we play the walkover for that person. Um, we rehearse. Sometimes we have uh, comedy bits that we're in. So then we have to rehearse that. But generally my day starts there around like two o'clock, maybe three o'clock. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if we have to go on set, we go on set to either rehearse playing a theme for a bit or doing like, you know, stings when we play things for yep. you know like a winner they won the prize you uh -huh. know yep, yep, yep. um and, and so do you think being in a band you know or you guys as a band which is a very unique scenario compared to anyone else you know of course on tv in terms of late night shows is that you know the, the roots are the roots it's yeah. not like uh the tonight show plus these guys right and so um do you feel that you know being in a band outside of your house band duties does that bring something special when you guys do get to 30 rock wait you mean whenever 
<clears throat> when the band, oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing on that gig when we're in the tele at NBC mm-hmm. is quick communication. Like sometimes, uh, you know, like we're Jimmy will be talking and on the fly, you know, he says something and it's like, uh, you know, whatever. Like there's a word that said, and then uh-huh. a quick count off and you play. Now, if I didn't know them and I wasn't a part of this situation and, and you know, from all the different musical experiences that we've had yeah. outside of NBC, if I didn't know them, that word would mean absolutely nothing and I would not know what to do. But there's been a certain level of language that's uh-huh. been developed over the years of us playing in all these different musical experiences that we just kind of, as a group, have a, yeah. a, a large uh, amount of vocabulary. So what, what's a, I gotta ask, like what's a word that when you hear it, you know, oh, that's where? Uh, chicken grease. Chicken grease. Um, what else? What's a, what's a good word that, uh, that I hear? Um, I don't know. I, I have to be in the situation. They're like, <laughs> they're like, they're just these like Quick words hits. that yeah. just mean something. And like, in, and even though it's directed at one musician, uh-huh. the rest of us know what surrounds that word. You know oh what I mean? Goodness. The rest of us know what is to be played if you're hearing, if you hear that word. That's so crazy. It's like, it's real fast. It's like, you know, there's, there's just a lot. We're, we're kind of quick yeah. because, it, you know, we're, we've played in so many situations that, uh, you know, as, as a unit, we're, we're, we're really mm-hmm. together. So, you know, to Mark, you know, to, I guess I want to, I want to wrap up our time, you know, by talking about, you know, what, and, I, and I'm, and I'm, I struggle with how to ask this, but, you know, I want to, it's, it's something you mentioned earlier in your interview, but um, playing that feels good mm-hmm. for, for people who are listening and players who are saying, you know what, I've heard that my whole life as a musician. Um, what, what does it take and what do I need to think about in order to make my playing feel good? Um, well, you have to, I think that's a personal thing. Like you have to, for something, for something to translate to somebody else, you it, you have to feel it first. You know what I mean? Before somebody else can understand what it is that you're feeling. And you have to ask yourself first to you, what bass lines feel good to you or what grooves feel good to you? Like what songs can you think of that when you hear them, they just hit you? Like they, yeah. if there's something just special about how these instruments are playing together or how this rhythm is or whatever it is, there's something about it that every time you hear it, it just clicks and it's just something like you can't help but to just move or to sing that melody or whatever. Like yeah. those things, it's like you find those things, whatever those things are, make a make a playlist of those things mm-hmm. and get that into your understanding and be like, why does that, Why? what is it about that that I like so much? And it may not be what you think. It may be the way that the guitar player is playing this one line over and over again. The, the drummer and the bass player could be playing everything right on the beat, but maybe it's the way this guitar player is playing this one thing that makes everything sound. Uh, so don't just listen to the bass. No, listen to everything. Get your whole picture because if you know that that's what, like everything I feel like kind of has a formula. So if, if like you like drum grooves, like you can hear sloppy drums and think they're sloppy and everybody, a common thing that I've noticed in drummers is that they always think the sloppiness in the drums is in the hi-hat and that they do all this weird, loud, accentuating on mm-hmm. the, on the hi-hat and it just sounds like a drummer that's playing a hi-hat really loud and behind the beat when really in some of the cases, it's not the hi-hat in some cases, it's that the snare may be rushed. And because yeah. the snare is rushed, it's making this hi-hat that's actually on the beat sound like it's further behind than what it is. Yeah, Chris you know Dave I mean? does that so well too. Right. So but they all think it's, uh, that's a, so, such a good point because a lot of people, you know, and I have a lot of close drummer friends, they listen to what he's doing on the hi-hat and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's but not his, his kick and his snare are, they're somewhere else. Right. That makes now that hi-hat sound different. But see, but also, I mean, that's the way Chris plays it. Now, there are other drummers who play that type of wonkiness, but they're not doing it the same way he is. But it's yeah. like, it's, it's all a way that is translated to them that now they're able to translate that to anybody listening. So, so developing your ears to listen to all the components that are going right. around. 
And gotcha. then you know how to deliver that. But then like you'll come up with your own way. Like, I mean, you, you know, for like you, um, like what, who was it? it was Stevie Wonder. We played with Stevie Wonder one time and he, he was getting his, uh, his, one of his instruments tuned and the guy tuning it said something like that he, he doesn't tune to A440. Like he tunes it like, oh, a, wow. Tunes like a little bit higher. And the question is why? Because he said, because it cuts through the mix. Holy smokes. Because that's, it's just, that's a, heavy. Because it's just a little bit sharp, not sharp enough for you to be like, oh, that's out of tune, but yeah. just sharp enough to be just a little bit more wow. than everything else around that's tuned normal so that it cuts through. Oh, so then, that's you know, crazy. Like little, like little things, you know. I don't know. I, I, I don't even. All know right, but bass players don't do that. Two to four no. now. <laughs> so like, everybody has like their little things that they figure out how to yeah. do, and I think that you know, if for things to translate is feeling good, like you got to find those examples that mm -hmm. you like, and then listen to those things, and then mimic those things, learn them, how, learn how to play them, find what they are, and then when you play with another drummer. Like for a bass player, you can play with a drummer and then like if you play behind the beat, that drummer could be following you. So it's like, yeah. if you're following me, then we're both just playing. It's like, it's, it's this constant chase. Yeah. But if you stay here and then I diverge just a little bit, we're able now to create that gotcha that thing, you know, that you can yeah. hear that now has like, it catches your attention. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know, man. It's, it's got to start with you first. No, that well said, man. All right, last question. Give me... Uh, you're, you're taking three records on a desert island. Give me, give me three. Oh, man. Come on, man, I, I have to. Questions, man. I know, I know. Three, I hate them too, but that's why I get to ask them. <laughs> three records. D'Angelo's Voodoo is, is one of them. Classic, that's just, yes. That's one of my classic all-time favorite albums. Um, three, that was one. What's two? Um, what's the second album? Man, I hate these questions, man. What, what's a, what's a good, I'm like looking through my phone, like what would be a good second album? So, okay. Well, so you know, I, let's I, switch it up. What, what, are you, what are you spending these days on, on, on your phone? What's inspiring uh, you? Shoot man, some stuff. I've really been listening to a lot of Primus lately. Really? Yeah. Awesome. Um, I've, I've, I'm, I'm, right now I'm a crazy uh, Claypool fan. I mean, I've always been a Claypool fan, but I, I, I really appreciate the freedom in his music and the stuff that he's writing lyrically and gotcha. on his bass. Like he's just, you know, he's, it's, there's just, there's, freedom is intoxicating. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's a lot of freedom in his artistry. Mm -hmm. So like when, with the stuff that I create, that's the the angle that I am now. I mean, and that, that always changes. Like I go through these phases of, you know, of playing stuff like that and writing stuff like that to all of a sudden, you know, now I want to play. I want to play stuff that has more of a Dilla groove or more cool. of a, you know, whatever. So I kind of go between these like gotcha different things. But that's so. That's so we really got Primus. Cool. Yeah, Primus. I've been listening awesome. to a lot of Primus, man. Very cool. Well, Mark, thanks so much, man, for taking this. Has been a fun conversation. Yeah, um, you know, you've been such a great friend, and and uh, and I appreciate you know uh, you sharing your stories today. Sharing, I feel like wisdom. Uh, yeah, you've thanks. lived such uh, such a great life and continue to and. All the best to Marie and the kids. And and uh, thanks again for joining us on Aguilar Radio, man. Yeah, man. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. Later, man.